man's greatest burden is living a life of unfulfilled potential. Tony Robbins says success without fulfillment is failure. So if someone's comfortable, I'm okay with it. But don't complain that you're not fulfilled. That's on you. People have to take extreme ownership. What fulfills them? You know, and there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. Rich can be, oh, about all the money you want or whatever it is or how many doors you have. But true wealth is when you're in a state of pure creation and caring. I want an abundance of wealth. I don't want an abundance of money. I don't need an abundance of money. And it's not because I have billions of dollars in my bank account. It's far away from that. But money, it's not the end. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow savvy real estate investors, uh, we have Mark Smith on our show today. Uh, Mark is a sales expert, a wholesaler, and a multifamily investor who is highly passionate about helping others. He's the founder of the 7-2 podcast and an advocate for breaking mindset barriers and taking back control of one's life, even when they're dealt with the worst cards possible. In this episode, we were able to talk a lot about Mark's life, his past, and his rock bottom moments, and how he was able to overcome them. And, you know, the focus was on discussing mindset, and that real estate is really just a vehicle to achieving financial freedom. We were able to talk about the importance of working on oneself, and even discussed how to raise children who are motivated and driven in today's world of instant gratification. It was definitely a motivating episode that touched on so many really important topics related to wealth, overcoming adversity, and personal development, just to name a few. So definitely tune in. Here's Mark Smith. Hey, everyone. I have Mark on our show today. Mark, we're so excited to speak with you. Looking forward to just get right into it. Uh, Maybe you can just give us a brief introduction of yourself and tell us a little bit about your history. Um, You know, who's Mark? Yeah. Wow. A brief introduction. That's going to be tough. (laughs) (laughs) My introduction might be the whole podcast, which I apologize for. Yeah. Brief history about myself. Uh, My name is is Mark Smith. I'm a real estate investor. Um, This is my full-time gig. Um, And I've been doing this for, you know, I would say I wish I was doing it longer. A lot of people say, "What's what's my biggest regret about real estate investing? It's I wish I started sooner. And my background is high ticket sales. So that's where I really um, you know, understood or learned about how to work with individuals and, you know, really testing my limits uh, and really, you know, really embracing how to communicate with others. And most importantly, is how to best serve others. And 
that high ticket sales started, I started in high ticket sales when I was about uh, 21 years old. So I'm really trying to connect the dots backwards here. So let me see how I can redo this here. Uh, I was born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta, um, went to school in Edmonton, and uh, an opportunity came up where I could do high ticket sales and medical devices because my background was I was a respiratory therapist. And really, my responsibility in a hospital setting was to really work with critical care equipment and life support. So by the time I was 20 years old, and when I talk about this, I actually killed seven people. And what I mean by seven people is I was working in a hospital setting. Now, I didn't go and deliberately do this, of course, because I won't be here today on this podcast. But as a 21-year-old and dealing with the stress of having someone's life in your hands, and ultimately, it's you that's turning off that machine. And it's you looking at the parents in their eyes, because I worked in pediatric intensive care. I worked in neonatal intensive care. Um, it, it really affected me. And I actually hit a low where, you know, I consumed a lot of alcohol because I didn't know how to ease the pain. And at 20 years old, you don't know, you know, you're still young. I mean, it actually scares me because I have an 18 year old and I would never want him to go through what I, what I experienced. And so an opportunity came up with high ticket sales, um, which was now selling the type of equipment that I was using as a respiratory therapist. And when I had this opportunity present itself, our company had about 5% market share. And by the time I was done, my role as, as a sales representative for this company, um, we had about, I'd say about 85 to 90% market share. It was quite significant, the big shift. But the beauty was, is that I was now able to serve others. And that was really the big thing for me is that because I had nobody that could serve me when I was my deepest pain, and I could just see the struggles in the healthcare system, what was happening. And now I could come back with a solution that could help others. And then it how that uh, grew is I got an opportunity to take on our U.S. operation. So I moved down to Chicago. And when I was in Chicago, I was blessed. I was the director of international business development. So I flew all over the world. I mean, all over the world. It was, it was amazing. I was able to go to hospitals in Australia, France, uh, Switzerland on many occasions, Sweden. And what I was able to do was simply help others. And that's what really allowed me to really propel in life is my purpose is to help others. And that's the thing that I enjoy the most. It's not about the dollar signs that come in the account. It's not about any of that. It's not about the next property. It's not about the next, the, all the doors and that kind of stuff. What fulfills me is serving others and helping others. And so um, there was a mishap. Uh, I shouldn't say mishap, but um, you know, I'm sure you'll ask more questions about this. But what pushed me to get into real estate investing was when I hit a low point in my life. Um, literally about five years ago, I was actually homeless. Uh, and and uh, when I mentioned this to Jose a couple of days ago, it didn't hit me until a few a few days ago that it, you know me and Zara were talking, and Zara is my 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 wife and partner, and we realized I was homeless five years ago. Um, with an, an instant, everything was taken away from me. Everything was taken from me. Uh, had a marital breakdown. There's a lot of stuff right now we're seeing. You know, I mean, by the time this this episode uh, airs, uh, there'll be a decision in the Johnny Depp case, an Amber Heard case, of course. Um, but um, I, I, was, I was put into the system of, 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 fa- of the family law system. And unfortunately, like most men, I was on a losing end and I lost everything I had. Um, I lost my house. I lost my personal belongings. All I had was a shirt on my back. Um, and I lost my children through parental alienation and so forth. And it was through, through that struggle where I was on my knees. And even when I asked God to take me and God says, I'm not taking you. I realized I had to do something. And the issue was with me. It was the person I looked in the mirror. I had to change. And because I had my whole net worth basically went completely upside down, I just said, how do I flip the switch? How do I switch, flip the switch so quickly 
so I can amass my net worth back again. And so what I did was instantly I said, I'm going to get back into real I'm sorry, I'm going to get into real estate investing. And that's exactly what I did. So I've gone hard for the last uh, four and a half years, four years. We've done everything from running a wholesale company. We do multiple flips. We do new builds, buying holds, Airbnbs, apartments. Um, so you name it, I've done. And it's only because I had no choice. How was that for an intro? <laughs> yeah. 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 That was fully a, packed. We were both like <laughs> silent <laughs> listening to no, it. No, that yeah. is that is that is great. I mean, thanks for being vulnerable about you know your journey so far. And you know, you're in the real estate investment community, you're known as the seven two mindset investor. Maybe tell us a little bit about where that came from. Sure. Absolutely. Uh where the seven two came from. So there's a saying that and I actually have it written on, on my wall here. It said it basically stems from, and I'll read it to you right now. You can't control the hands you're dealt, but you can control how you play that hand. And we know that. Even in real estate investing, a tenant destroys your property, it's a bad hand. What are you gonna do about it? Are you gonna sit there and fold your hands saying, I'm leaving real estate altogether, or are you gonna find a way to play that bad hand? And where the seven two stands for. 7-2 is the worst possible hand in poker. So statistically speaking, if you're someone's playing poker, if those poker players there or those maybe listening that aren't poker players, if you get a 7-2 hand playing poker, it's the worst possible hand statistically speaking. And more times than then, you want to fold that hand. And I was dealt many, many de- bad hands. Like It was just like, when does it end? I kept on getting these 7-2, 7-2, 7-2, and I kept on folding my hand, kept on folding my hand. And it was just enough's enough. I'm going to play that bad hand. And when I did, it changed the trajectory of my life. So the message I tell people, and it's a reminder to myself, even the license plate on my vehicle says 7-2. My branding is all 7-2 because it hit home is that it is a bad hand. But what are you going to do about it? Because at the end of the day, no one cares. No one cares. Mm-hmm. It's up to you. You know, I, you know, I can I can sit here and, and be a Debbie Downer and, and boohoo, feel sorry for me. No one feels sorry. I should feel sorry. If I feel sorry for myself, that's the worst possible feeling. So that's where the 7-2 mindset investor came in is a 7-2 is critical. And where the mindset investor piece came in, I actually called myself the 7-2 real estate investor to start off with. And in fact, a lot of my early, early branding was 7-2 real estate investor. In fact, I even trademarked it. And that was a waste of money. But because <laughs> I realized it wasn't the real estate that was the shift for me. It was my mindset because I could only invest in real estate if I was investing in my mindset. And I made a, a, a massive proclamation and a more massive proclamation and declaration that I had a very scarce mindset. And now I believe in complete abundance. I was the most envious person. I was jealous. Um, why does that person have that and I don't have it? I was, what I thought was, and I was at the same time, believe it or not, I was, a, I was very much so a people pleaser, which is probably the most selfish act one can do is being a people pleaser because you're more about feeding your ego. And what I realized is I had to invest in myself. Because when I invest in myself, it's the only ROI I have control over. You can buy any building. And there's only so much power you have on the return on investment. There's going to be other factors. Like we're seeing in this market climate, interest rates are climbing. There's, I have no control over that. So I made, I, I made a decision that I was going to invest $1 million into my mindset. And I've been blessed. I have in, in, having mes, uh, mentors all over the world. Uh, in fact, I actually have three mentor calls today. Um, they're not my friends. They, they, they put me through pain. And why they put me through pain is to pull the potential out of me. And by doing that, it equips me to deal with what happens in the real world. 
So that's where the whole seven two mindset investor came from. Wow! No, thanks for sharing that. And you have um, you know gone through a lot of adversity and changed your mindset. What were were some of the big steps that you took to get to that uh, change in mindset? Was it? I know you mentioned part of some mastermind. Uh, I know you're an avid reader. What else was that process like? Yeah, you know, I get that question asked a lot. And there's a lot of individuals, and I myself included early on, was we would jump right to the self-regulation. So we jumped to self-regulation. And before you can get to self-regulation, you have to have self-acceptance. But before self-acceptance, you have to have self-awareness. And that was the big thing. I actually had to really look really deep inside and, and be aware of my of my shortcomings and what was actually holding me back. Because fear doesn't hold someone back. It's their unwillingness to face fear that holds them back. And I needed to face that fear. And instead of running from fear, because you can, you can, you hear this all the time. I'm running, I'm going to move to a different city because I want to get away from this. Well, you can't get away from yourself. Right. And so I, instead of running away from the fear, I said, I need to dance with the fear. I need to dance with the fear. I need to embrace it and, and use it as fuel instead of using it to something that's going to suffocate me. And so by going through that self-awareness and then acceptance, then I could then make the decisions or, or the choices that I had to do. And those were changing many things. So I went from um, watching TV, all, I should say watching TV all the time, but other entertainment, I'll, I'll put it that way. Like I was doing everything opposite than I should have been doing. Okay. So what this, the biggest switch I made was uh, getting in masterminds because before the scarcity mindset is like, why would I pay X amount of money to join a mastermind when I could just get it for free on YouTube? Why would I do that? Why would I need to do this? Oh, they're just doing it for popular. Like my, again, it was my scarcity and it, my scarcity was my fear. My fear was my ego is realizing that, hey, dude, you're not the smartest person in the room. And so what I did through that is through joining masterminds, again, success leaves clues. One of the richest men in the world is Warren Buffett. What does he do for many hours a day? He reads. <laughs> so success leaves clues. So I became an avid reader. Um, I started uh, doing things like making sure I was taking uh, you know, the physical activity and so forth you know, gratitude, journaling, all those different things. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy because what we all lack, in my opinion, is we lack accountability. You can only have so much self-accountability or willpower, but accountability has to come from another power altogether. And that's where the power of mentorship comes in. Because I knew my limitations, I knew it was too easy not to read. It was too easy not to go work out. It was too easy to sit in front of the TV and pour myself a whiskey. It was too easy. So I needed to hire mentors. So the key defining thing for me was actually getting the right mentor. And the key word is the right mentor. Because I've actually hired some bad mentors as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, there's, uh, we call them like the Furus or the Fugazis, right? They're on social media touting, uh, oh yeah, join our course and we're going to make you this. And we're an expert in real estate, for example, yet they don't own any real estate. Right. Um, so I made some mistakes along the way, but it made me smarter. Um, and that was basically the big shift was was the investment in myself, but realizing I couldn't do it by myself because I didn't know what questions to even ask myself. Yeah, for sure. And it was by getting a mentor. 
Yeah. And, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on just as we're talking about all this mindset stuff is, you know, your story is, is interesting because you hit an absolute low, like you hit this low and you sort of had to bring yourself up, but I don't know whether you can give us some of your opinions on the topic of people who are not in the low, but they're still not happy. So, you know, we talk to a lot of people and I'm sure you, you know, there's a lot of people who are working, for example, in jobs or, or doing things that aren't making them happy, but they're, they're extremely complacent. They're, they're comfortable. Um, so it, it almost seems like it's even harder than when you're in your ultimate low. Like I know ultimate lows are really hard, but complacency is hard too. being comfortable is hard too, because then there's not even that motivating factor to sort of get out of it. Whereas for your story, it was like, hey, I was in this really bad place and I had to make a decision. Like, you know, you, you call it rock bottom, right? Like when people hit rock bottom. But what about everyone else who's not at rock bottom, but is still, you know, not happy? H- h- what kind of advice? Or they're, they're not living to their full potential. Exactly. You know? Not living to their full potential or, or not living their best life. Like, I mean, what about all? And I think that... Ma- Correct me if I'm wrong, but that that's the majority of the population. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dan Pena says it best. Man's greatest burden is living a life of unfulfilled potential. Yeah. Tony Robbins says success without fulfillment is failure. So if someone's comfortable, I'm okay with it. But don't complain that you're not fulfilled. Right. That's on you. People have to take extreme ownership. What fulfills them? You know, and there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. Rich can be, oh, about all the money you want or whatever it is or how many doors you have. But true wealth is when you're in a state of pure creation and caring. I want an abundance of wealth. I don't want an abundance of money. I don't need an abundance of money. And it's not because I have billions of dollars in my bank account. It's far away from that. But money is is not the all uh, you know as i say it's not it's not the end and we could talk about this look at robin williams you know amazing comedian and so forth killed himself kate spade killed herself and they had all the money they had everything they wanted but what they what they did not have was fulfillment the founder of zappos same thing and we can go on and on and on and on and i think a lot of people They'll say money isn't everything, but it's the money isn't everything they'll say. But the, but the reality is it's the only metric people use. If you look at it, they look at their paycheck that goes in a bank account, they want to see what, the, what, how much is there. If they, they look at the receipt when they pay for something, right? It's the only metric, but it has to be beyond that. What makes one fulfilled? And so to answer that question about comfort and complacency, complacency and, and uh, complacency and, and comfort is a bad cancer. Because what it does, it'll eventually paralyze you. And when you wake up one day, you'll live a life full of regret and saying, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. I wish I did this. And that's what it comes down to. So when I'm pushing on people, it's like, what? imagine if we could just do a little bit more. Like, And my thing for what I tell people is this, is that every day, make it count. And it sounds so cliche, but it should be one's daily activity should be related to their daily pursuit of excellence. Because why are we here? Why are we here? You know, I, 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 my parents, I mean, I know the pain they went through, you know, to come to a foreign country, didn't know anybody in a typical immigrant story, which is by most Canadians. But I'm not going to let all that go to nothing. I have a responsibility. 
And my responsibility is to take that torch and pass it on and change the trajectory. Because if I'm sitting too comfortable or too complacent, I'm, that is the worst child abuse you could do for your children. The worst child abuse. Because what you're doing is you're setting a frame for your children that it's okay to be comfortable, it's okay to be complacent, and it's okay to be unfulfilled. And you're, if you're unfulfilled, what happens? It leads to depression, leads to anxiety, leads to pain, it leads to pills, leads to other addictions. So I, I see this time and time again with real estate investors. The first thing they'll say, how many doors do you have? Yeah. Let, let's, 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 let's change the question. How are you impacting yourself today? How are you impacting others today? Right. And I, it's, it's about changing that narrative. And I push on people that are comfortable and complacent, not because I want to be a dick to them. It's because I know what it did to me. I know what it did to me. And I almost killed myself for it. And I, will, I, I just can't sit there on the sidelines watching people getting complacent and complacency and comfortable. There are people in my circle. Like people have hired me to mentor them um, with the mindset piece. I've had all that, but I can't sit on the sidelines. When, when people hire me, I tell them, I'm not your friend. You'll be my friend after 12 months. But during the program, I'm going to be your worst enemy. I want you to hate because I'm going to push on your comfort because what's on the other side of pain? Our purpose. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to touch on is, you know, people dealing with failure, right? Failure in general in our society is known as something very negative. And, and they don't, you know, but, you know, we believe that, you know, you, you have to get, you have to go through failure in order to get to the success on the other side. So how do you, what's your, you know, kind of your take on or advice for, for our listeners on dealing with failure? Be careful where you take advice from and don't seek advice, seek counsel. There's a difference. Advice is going to come from either friends or family or just spectators that are watching you fail. And they've never tried it themselves and are saying, oh, see, I told you so. Mm -hmm. Your counsel, counsel is when someone's actually walked in your shoes and they, they know what you're going through and they know how you're going to grow through it. You cannot grow without failure. We, we didn't learn how to walk without falling down. We didn't learn how to be successful in real estate if it wasn't dealing with that problem tenant or dealing with the contractor that took our money and ran or dealing with the flip that doesn't sell, right? We, we learned through that. So the only way you can able, you're able to grow is actually pushing on what we call a growth mindset. The only, I mean, Tom Bailu says this in Impact Theory, uh, which is, Failure is the, is the, is, he didn't say the best teacher, but when you look at it from a measurable standpoint, we know if the stove is hot, we won't do it again. Mm -hmm. So what I tell people is when they're worried about failure, when they're worried about failure, it's what they're worried about most is what other people think of them. That's what they're worried about. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I mean, I think though that comes from a deeper place because a lot of us are almost conditioned to not fail. By, I mean, we, I can speak from Jose and I's own experiences with our families, but it's almost like we're being shielded to not fail. We're being, we're being coached to make decisions so that we will not fail. Um, you know, for even from us, for our perspective, I mean, when we were in our corporate jobs, um, you know, we were thinking about branching out on our own. There was extreme caution. 
it was like, no, you know, like, what if, what if, you know, this doesn't work? What if you lose money? What if this, what? and and if you really think about it deeply, it's, it's, you know, our families were trying to prevent any kind of failure instead of allowing us to experience that for ourselves. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon, but I think it's, it's deeper than, you know, like it's, 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 it's everywhere. It's, it's failure is a negative thing, a very negative thing. And, and, you, and we, you know, that traditional advice of go to school, get good grades so you can get a good high paying job, you know, <laughs> similar to what, you know, Kiyosaki mentions a lot, right? That, that traditional advice is, is okay for if you want to be, you know, just live an average life and mm-hmm. yeah, still, you know, you, but if you want to do something big, you, you just can't go that same path. Right. Um, you have to do something bigger and better. Yeah, for sure. Like, and people ask me about this, like, and I've been challenged. I've been challenged by a few people because I still believe, I still believe post-secondary education is important. And I don't see it from a standpoint of to go get a great job. I don't look at it that. I look at it, it's very important is because let's face it, society's become, it's becoming softer every day. Like it's so soft. It's it's frightening actually how soft the world is. Yeah, yeah. And when you make this, sh- like, even when I talk to school teachers that are, they don't not like teaching because they can't deal with a lot of these kids anymore because they're so entitled. Why are these kids so entitled? Because their parents are so entitled. So when they go to university, they or college or wherever, any type of post secondary, there's a level of accountability because now they got to pay to do. Now they have accountability. They got to pay to do something. The next step is, is they're going to be tested. This is where the growth is going to come in. Because in high school, there's mandates that they don't fail students. In university, they fail students, yeah. right? Or college and that kind of stuff. So I think it's very important that whether someone goes to trade school, whether someone goes to university or college, they do that because it's going to equip them for the real world, right? It's like saying, I want to be a deep diver, a deep, a deep diver, but I'm not going to go to school to learn how to swim. There's a danger in that. So I think it's important that people have that, the, the, the skills that they learn from that post-secondary side, because they're really going to find what they like and what they don't like. Are they very analytical? Are they very, uh, you know, entrepreneurial? So I think it's still important. That's just my opinion. Yeah, no, 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 I agree I, with I, you I totally 100%. Agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's just more so I was referring to that um once they get that they're they're chasing after this good paying job. Of course. And nothing else, right? Uh they think that is the end all be all of, of their their life is set after that point. Um yeah. And I agree with you 100%. So true. I, and and I apologize if I if I uh didn't answer you directly. Yes, absolutely. You get that well-paying job. Because I mean, I was there as well. I mean, when I was like, this is in the olden days. So I'm going to backtrack here. So when I was 24 years old, I mean, so this is in the early 2000s, um, 2003-ish or so, I was already making six figures, you know, and being that young, making six figures, like it's, and I got complacent very quickly. I got comfortable very quickly, like, you know, um, but it came back to bite me in the ass. It came back to bite me hard. Um, so, you know, and I think what um, Kevin O'Leary talks about this, and you'll notice I reference a lot of other 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 greats because, and they say like, giving someone a salary is like the ultimate handcuff. The golden handcuff. 
the golden handcuff. There we go. That's yeah. the quote right there. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I love that story that about uh, Kevin O'Leary. You know where he is. Uh, Working in the ice cream shop to impress a girl, and then uh, that you know, uh, he he said that after scraping that, like he was never gonna get a job or work for somebody else. That's right. That was and that was a question I actually asked Kevin O'Leary at the recent conference where I met you, uh, Jose, in person. I was blessed to be able to ask Kevin O'Leary that question, his seven-two moment, mm-hmm. and his seven-two moment was exactly that: is was it making a decision with a bad hand? Yes. Yeah. And it changed the trajectory of his life. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, I think that, you know, people get it twisted sometimes. It's not about the actual job. It it ultimately comes down to the control over your life and over your destiny and over your own passions and, and, you know, doing what you love, which is what is often inhibited by a traditional job. It's not that jobs, we need jobs. People need to work jobs and, you know, we need professionals in our society, but you know, there's a lot of things about working which inhibit you and, and inhibit your your own personal growth sometimes. And, you know, maybe talk to us a little bit about, you know, back to real estate. Once you started in investing in real estate, I know we talked earlier about real estate for you being just a vehicle. Um, but talk to us about maybe how you started a little bit about your initial journey in real estate and, and really how real estate has changed your life. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so. Before I even say that, I'll go back to your last comment there about uh, jobs and so forth. I think it's very fascinating for this point is that someone who's making a minimum wage has a better opportunity of getting a mortgage approval from an A lender than someone that actually has a million dollars in their bank account because they're an entrepreneur. Go figure. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely an issue with the system, right? Okay. So my real estate investing journey. So I talked about how I hit that ultimate low. And, I, and, and I, actually, let me rephrase that. I thought it was my ultimate low. I actually hit ultimate lows even worse thereafter. It just became worse and worse. And that was part of the growth, right? Being tested. And so I made a decision that I'm just going to get into real estate. Like I'm very spontaneous that way. Made a decision and I bought a property just like that. Went bought a property. It was a single family home in London. And, you know, at the time I didn't have a mentor. Um, I just went and bought a property. Um, and I said, okay, well, this is easy enough. Um, how do I get my next one? Well, I got my next one. And then literally in a span of about eight or nine months, I bought four properties. Okay. And it started, just started moving itself. And then what happened was, is I hit the wall. Like, like at that time I was still living my old life, which was still scarcity, envy, like all those other things. But now I had this real estate portfolio I was in the midst of a marital breakdown. There's a lot of stuff that was going on. So I was being pushed on all these different limits. But then I'm like, well, I want, I want more properties. And the bank's like, well, you can't buy no more properties. Well, why not? This person has so many doors. How come I can't? That's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. So instead of, instead of saying seeking answers, I was asking. I thought they were trying to you know, push me aside and that kind of stuff. And so at that point in time, I decided I needed to get a mentor. Okay, so it was a real estate mentor I started with, um, and uh, he's uh, he's a personal friend of mine as well. Now he's you know, and he he has an amazing program. His name is uh, Corey McKinnon, um, and we started together. And he just sort of showed me the way, like this is how you do it. So from that point, we we were looking at so you know how to best structure this because I did want to have an ultimate exit, anyways from my from my my nine to five, um, and 
understood about the being an active partner versus being the the only person in the deal um, and leveraging my knowledge to now get more assets because that's really what it came down to is leverage and and that's the favorite word amongst real estate investors or any investors how to leverage what how are you going to leverage and there's going to be some sort of capital that one has to leverage it's either going to be monetary it's going to be either social capital or it's going to be the 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 physical capital with the active or sweat equity and that kind of stuff right so with that, then I started getting into multifamily properties. So I had my buy and hold, started getting into multi, some of the multifamily properties, um, got into flips. And the reason we got into flips was, is I had to replace my income. Um, you know, there was, uh, I ended up, I was working in this medical device company and I hit a point where I was just really in a low spot. I didn't like the way the company was going. COVID happened. Uh, and at that point, I took a leave. And uh, started going into during after the leave, got into start doing flips, did multiple flips, saw the active income come from there, um, and then started wholesaling at the same time. And the whole idea about wholesaling was is to keep the best wholesale the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, so ended up wholesaling about twelve properties in the midst of that uh, multifamily that was, uh, and continue wholesaling today. Uh, got into new builds. Bought some land and then basically just flipped the land essentially, bought an apartment uh, with partners. Um, and then uh, just, yeah, constantly. So basically, to, to go that golden string of it's actually scary how much I've done since that time, <laughs> but you can see I've done a lot. And I, I'm a big believer of just taking action like, fail fast, fail forward. Yes, exactly. And, and so, are you still very, I, I know you were, you know, you're, purpose kind of in life is to serve others um uh, what uh, what kind of programs are you uh do you ha- I, I know you do some coaching as well maybe t- tell us a little bit about that how you're involved in helping others absolutely so and i should finish off katija's question about the vehicle right for real estate because i think this goes hand in hand so a lot of people i speak to when they uh, when they say they want to get into real estate investing it's usually They'll start off with the usual thing where I'm tired of my nine to five five, and I want to create generational wealth. That's what they say. And one thing I've learned very quickly is generational wealth is a bunch of BS because what you're going to be doing is you're basically going to be, you you have a higher risk of crippling your family by doing that. Now, people will challenge me on that and I'll explain why I say this. Again, success leaves clues. Someone will start a company, for example. They'll pass it off to their offspring. And by the third generation, the third generation doesn't realize the sweat that actually had to go in the first time. The second generation saw the sweat, but didn't actually experience it. The third has no clue. And they've inherited a lot. What ends up happening? They destroy the company. Yeah. So I quickly realized that I need to be passing on not generational wealth, but generational intellect. Yes. Because that's the power. That's the capital. That's generational intellect is scalable. Mm-hmm. and. So for me, real estate investing gave me the freedom to do the things I want to do. That's all, real, that's all it did. And the things I want to do is to serve others. I realized my biggest passion, my, biggest, my purpose for being here is to help others and take the things I've learned. Like I'm 45 years old and what I've experienced in this is take my problems and serve them as gifts to others saying, I've walked in your shoes. This is what we can do together. These are the mistakes I made and this is how we do things differently. And so through that, 
um, I realized just, in fact, recently I had an epiphany at two recent uh, real estate meetings I went to where I was actually shocked when this, this happened, where people would come up to me and I didn't know who they were. And they would say, hey, Mark, we're, we, we've been following you for, for quite some time here and you inspire us or you've saved our lives, or because of, because of one episode you did, we quit, or one post you did on Instagram, we quit smoking. And it, it, I was actually taken aback, taken back by it. And then people were coming and they were hugging me and they wanted to take pictures of me. And I, my head was shaking. And I said, what, what's going on here? And driving home from the most recent conference, I realized I must be doing something right here. Mm-hmm. And I need to go deeper because if my purpose here is to influence, impact others, then I go, I got to go harder. Yeah. And, and that's where I am right now is I just want to help people. I want to serve others. Um, you know, and you know, there's, there's great mentors out there for real estate investing and that kind of stuff. I, my, my thing is more, it's just to help specifically men that are, that are lost. And yeah, there's women that approach me as well, but I see the biggest issue is, is there's a lot of men that are confused and are lost and are stuck. Um, addictions are on the, on the rise. And these aren't your usual type of addictions that we hear about. You know, usually we hear about addictions like gambling or alcohol or drugs. But now we're seeing even more addictions with, um, and I hate to say it on a, on a, on a real estate podcast, but porn addiction. Um, and what's happening is, is people are looking for that quick dopamine release and then it burns those wires and they're looking for something different, something different. And what happens, they go down a dark rabbit hole. So because of what I've been through, I want to be able to grab someone by the collar and saying, you're not going down there. You're not going down there. And what it's allowed me to do is speak on multiple podcasts. It's allowed me to speak on multiple stages. I've been blessed to speak on a stage with Tim Story, who's also one of my mentors, is also a, a personal friend of Oprah Winfrey. I've been able to speak on a digital stage with Tom Bailu, which is someone that I, lo- I really look up to, part of Impact Theory. And that's, that's, what, that's what fuels me. So nothing feels better when you find your fulfillment. And through real estate investing, it's allowed me to find what fulfills me, which is helping others. Mm. Yeah, no, wow. that's such a great. And I mean, just piggybacking on that, I want to ask you a question, maybe for other real estate investors. I know we talked about helping other people in general, but, you know, and something that we struggle with too, with the onset of social media being such a heavy presence. And you touched on this a little bit before, but you know, about the pressures associated with being part of a community. I mean, it's a great community, um, such helpful people. And and, and we love the real estate community, but it also brings on a lot of pressures. For example, like you said, when you meet people, the first question is, you know, how many doors do you have? Or, you know, what's your net worth? Or, you know, all these questions related to being an entrepreneur. Um, How, what advice would you give people to basically allow them to utilize real estate as a vehicle and channel that energy into bigger things or more purposeful things rather than getting caught up in that. Because again, you're getting caught up in sort of this golden handcuff of a different kind. Um, It becomes a rabbit hole as well. And we've been in that cycle too of becoming almost obsessive over measurable things like doors and wealth, uh, numbered wealth. Um, So yeah, maybe you could help us out with that. And and I I think other people who are in real estate, and like I said, social media has a huge part to play in, at least in our in our experience. Sure. Because especially through the pandemic and everything, um, you know, we weren't seeing people as much in that social media influence became even heavier. Absolutely. That's a fantastic question. 
Um, I believe the leading cause of anxiety and depression today is social media. You see it with children. You're seeing it with teenagers. It's all about how they, how they, how they perceive themselves by looking at someone else's success or what they're doing or the parties they're at and that kind of stuff. And I, I fight those demons myself. And I think if any human being is going to be doing that and, and what, what I tell people is this is who gives a shit what people are posting? Like, honestly, when social media is designed for to be successful, social media comes down to this and you'll be very successful is be a creator. Don't be a consumer. Be a creator, provide value, provide value saying, Hey, I'm a real estate investor. Here's a project I've done. And be honest. And honesty is, the, is, is the, so critical. I heard, I heard this now a number of occasions. Again, it, it, it shook me because it was just something that a few people have said to me on different occasions. And they said, Mark, it's interesting because when we meet you in person, you're the same person on social media, unlike many others. Because I talk about the pain. I talk about the vulnerability. When I, when I, po- when I'm, even when I'm posting or I talk to people, and I'm not sure if you guys caught this, I said I own an apartment building with partners. I own properties with partners. It's not me standing there and flexing and saying, look at what I got. I'm better than all of you, right? Um, and, and you look at what the demise of social media is, and there's actually a place in Toronto that they actually have cardboard cutouts of jets. So you can actually go and take a, a selfie picture and pay. And post it if you want to. There's people that are actually going and they're going to Gucci stores, all dressed up in Gucci stuff, saying, I'm in real estate investing, invest with me, and they'll go return the clothes the next day. This is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is a thing. So, what I tell people is we need to just rip that veil off and understand when people are posting, are they posting about themselves or are they posting about value? And those, and go, go do an audit, like just like when you have to go and, um, Remove negative people from your life. It's the hardest thing you have to do, but do it. Look at who you're following on social media. Are they bringing you value or are they taking you down? Mm-hmm. If they're actually bringing you value and they're serving you, fantastic. And there's a lot of that. And it's, it's, it's constant. I speak to investors that are, that are 100 times more successful than me. And they struggle with it too. And I tell them the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I wanted to touch back on a point that you made earlier about uh, kids and entitlement, because we are so funny. Because I was just going to ask you about kids too. I was like, yeah. I'm not going to ask you for a quote because you've already <laughs> given us some great quotes. But let's talk about kids for a second. Yeah. <laughs> because you know what, we we've got three kids, young kids, and we all some, boys, all boys, and we get worried about what's in it you know what the future for them is gonna be like because we already see the entitlement mindset right now when and they're only like you know four to three and five years old yes um because of the environment that they're inevitably growing up in right i mean we are we are more blessed than our parents were and and that's the way you like you said that's the way it should be right like we should be building up ourselves the next generation should do do better than the previous, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. And we live a, a fairly comfortable life. Um, 
but we are worried. And, and, you know, it's so funny because I, we joke sometimes and I tell Jose, I was like, we should just spend it all because if we don't, some sugar mama is going to spend it. Like my son is going to be buying some girl, some bling one day with my money. Um, and, and, you know, we laugh about it. I'm like, just cause so every time we hesitate about, cause we are very conservative with our money. We've always been that way. We live the same way we've always lived. Um, but it's a big fear of ours. Like, what are we going to do with these kids? Um, and what advice would you give parents? And maybe, maybe a little bit touch on, on what kind of, you know, you mentioned a profound word, generational intellect. Yes. Like, what can you do right now to prepare for that? Yeah. Uh, what, what, you know, it's, uh, it, this is, I, I love this conversation. I'm just trying to think how I can come about this because I have so many ideas on this. Generational intellect is so powerful because if you look at, when we take a step back, like I take a step back and I look at my parents made some sacrifice, made significant sacrifices. And when it came to the country, my mom worked three jobs. My dad was working his ass off, barely saw them and that kind of stuff. And right there, what I just said is what I remember about them. Yeah, there was love. Don't get me wrong, but I saw how hard they worked. I can pass that on to my next. So that's actually instilled in me. So now I take that and now I build off of that. See, one of the things I take pride in is I rebuild people. That's what I do. I rebuild people. Like I'll take something and it's just like when I do a flip, I look at a property and I need to rebuild this. There's purpose behind it. Think about bricks and mortar of a foundation. You have your brick, right? What holds the bricks together? Mortar. In, In our case, we take a brick. Okay, so our brick is us. I take my parents' pain as the mortar and I build off of that. Then you got to take mortar again, which is going to be pain. You got to build off of that. So where I'm going with this is all we we have no control on the destiny of our children. We don't. What we do have control over is how we best equip them. It's how we equip them. They're watching all the time. So what are the things I'm doing? My kids see me reading. My kids see me getting on podcasts. My kids see me helping people. My kids see me. when someone calls me and they're crying because they're 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 I you know someone recently sent me a sent me a test we jumped on the phone and basically said I'm gonna kill myself a real estate investor I'm gonna kill myself what do you think's embedded in those children's in the children's head there's of course they're gonna be entitled well it's not fair my it's my teacher's fault or you know my friend gets this amount of money of course they're gonna say that that's the age they're in. So all I can all I can equip them for is that when they're my age, they'll look back at that. And I heard this once. The day you realize your parents were right is the day you, your own children think you're wrong. So as you go through these cycles, you go through these cycles. You know, my, my, I have a child. I'm going to be full disclosure. I have a son that doesn't speak to me. Why? Parental alienation. He was turned against me. Does it hurt? It hurts like hell. It hurts every single day. But I don't sit in the corner bawling and saying, poor me. Because again, the only thing I can control is my daily pursuit of excellence. Because one day when he does come back to me, this is what I want him to see. So entitlement is scary. And the thing is, true entitlement is, again, generational intellect. That's where it's being passed on as well. You know, how many people, like, there's a job shortage out there. Yet there's a lot of people sitting at home saying they don't want to work. Why? Because they got used to serve money. Yeah. What are they teaching to their kids? Tenants that refuse to pay rent. 
and they have kids in their house. What are they teaching to those kids? It's okay not to pay your fair share. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all we can do is equip our children the best way we can because there's no handbook. And, you know, my mentor, Tim Story says, God's opinion of you makes man's opinion of you irrelevant. Be the best parent that you can be. That's all you can do. I was the best parent for my son. I really was. I made mistakes. Um, but I know it's in, it's in God's hands. Right. No, that's, uh, that's some good advice. And I'm sure we could keep picking your brain here, Mark. I mean, uh, uh, it was, it was such, such a great interview. And uh, honestly, I, I, could, I could keep talking to you and learn so much more. Um, Thank you for sharing everything that you did. And thank you for honestly, for being just so raw and honest. I think you're absolutely right. We as a society need more of that, especially in the way that we interact on social media and the way that we interact with each other. Like, you know, it's, it's just so important to be authentic. So thank you for bringing so much authenticity. I think um, it, it was, it was really, really great. Yeah, no, personally learned a lot. Yeah. There were some profound takeaways from myself as well that I got to implement as a as a father as well. So thank you. No, thank you for the opportunity. I, this was, uh, you know, I, I just I'm blessed that I can share, what, you know, and it's not easy. It's not easy talking about this stuff. But if I can make a difference in one person's life, then then I, I, it's, I've been fulfilled. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and I, I think that um, our viewers will appreciate the, the difference in, in topic this week. And just, you know, again, the big takeaway is like, you know, at the end of the day, real estate is just, it's just a means, it's a vehicle for whatever it is that you need it to do. But it's, it's you know, people get so, so wrapped up in just almost being obsessive over it, right? Like it's like the ultimate thing that they strive to do. But again, it's it's just a small it's a part of just your a, just it's a, a way a means life. to fund your life. Exactly. Yes. A means to fund your life. That absolutely. There's people that own dollar stores that, that live their life of their dreams. There's people that own gas stations. It's simply a vehicle. That's it. Mm -hmm. exactly. exactly. Yeah. No, that's great. So um one last thing before we wrap up today if people want to get in touch what's the best way for them to reach you um, maybe if they're interested in just having a chat coaching opportunities or just following your journey absolutely i appreciate that uh, best way to get a hold of me is uh instagram um and the handle is at the mark smith official um it's the brown guy with the most vanilla name so at the mark smith official awesome Perfect. okay we'll definitely add it in our show notes so thank you thanks again mark we really appreciate your time and uh your everything that you shared with us today. Thanks. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.